Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 272, Southern Gothic, Ghost Stories and Legends. Wendy, when I say the words Southern Gothic, what does that make you feel? Makes me feel spooky. It does a little bit. It makes me. <laughs> it makes me feel like I should be um, have my my black eyeliner on. Uh huh. And uh, listening to the Cure, and then talking with the southern. I was just gonna say singing with a twang. Singing with a twang, right? <laughs> I should be having a mint julep and smoking a clove cigarette. Um, no, but the thing is, traditions of southern ghost stories uh, go back a long way, and we got to get out there. You know, we think of gothic. What do you think of? Oh, I mean, you just think of dark, kind of evil, vampire-y sort of, right. that kind of stuff. And it's funny because the origin of the term gothic, it comes from the goths. And not, I don't mean... Cure uh, fans. Right. <laughs> right. I'm not talking about uh, like industrial metal kind of people. I'm talking about the German tribe, the goths. Because the goths were the ones who sacked Rome mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the Roman Empire. And what's interesting about it is, you know, one of the reasons people refer to things that are dark and horrific or that deal with murder and like human sadness as gothic is because in the Renaissance, everything associated with the Dark Ages, which is the era after um, the Roman Empire fell, was sacked by the Goths, these German barbarian hordes. That was because uh, they considered anything involved with the Dark Ages as gothic. Uh-huh. Because it related to the time after Rome uh, had fallen. Because in the Renaissance, they considered the Greek and Roman periods the epitome of like human education and learning and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, so these barbarians ended it. Yes, they did. And it's funny because Romans were always very clean shaven. I mean, the Greeks weren't, but the Romans were. Uh-huh. And um, if you had a mustache... <laughs> That was con- like only the Germans, only the Goths, the barbarians had mustaches. So that was the way like the Romans they said like, oh, no, that's the lower class. That would be the Romans version of people of Walmart, I guess, that website. So I just always thought it was very interesting how then when people started writing these stories, and I think like one of the first times we referred to a story as Gothic like in 1749. Oh, okay. You know, um, and stories that deal with, not necessarily the supernatural, even though the supernatural is often a part of it. Yeah. Um, but it's that idea they deal with madness and murder and betrayal and kind of like the negative aspects of human nature. Nasty. The, well, the stuff that makes an interesting drama. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, when you suggested having this as a topic, I wasn't sure exactly what Southern Gothic right. was. You know, immediately I just imagined that American Gothic painting with the two farmers with the pitchforks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of had to look it up a little bit, and I was, it isn't really that clearly defined, actually. No, it's it's not. And the funny thing about American Gothic is like, why would they, you know, why would they even call it that? Yeah, like what does it have to do? Like nobody's got a black wig on or right. whatever. Nobody, nobody's dyed their hair. And the also, you know, when I think of Gothic. I think of like big castles and the old, you know, Transylvanian kind of style, but it's not like that in that painting. So because in Gothic architecture, 
um, when you think about churches and stuff that were built in the Middle Ages, that area between the fall of Rome and the Enlightenment, the Renaissance, um, it's the kind of window that's on the back of that house. I mean, it's, it's on that house. And so the painter, uh, Grant Wood, he was in Iowa, a town called Eldon, and uh, a young painter was showing him around. And then he sees this very simple, like, farmhouse, but it's got this kind of gothic window that looks like it came from a church. It's got an elaborate window. And he thought how ridiculous it was <laughs> that this simple farmhouse had yeah. this elaborate window. Ah, okay. And so that's why he decided. And, the, and so when he paints the picture of the farmer with the pitchfork, and his, that's supposed to be his daughter, not his wife. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Which I didn't even know about. Yeah. You just imagine it as a couple. Because right. it's a man and a woman together. And, I mean, he looks like an old, stern man. <laughs> and she looks like she could be too. But yeah. it's supposed to be the farmer and his daughter. And he just pictured who he would imagine live in that In such house. a place. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it's been parodied in so many different places. Um, I mean, that's one of the right. beginning shots of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, even the director of Shaft, Gordon Parks, he, as a photographer in the 1940s, he takes a picture of a black woman holding like a mop and a broom oh, in wow. front of the American flag. Yeah. And so that's that, that the parody of that's her American dream or whatever sure. <laughs> is being a janitor uh, kind oh, of deal. Boy. But people, you can still go to that house that he saw. Oh, wow. And pose in front of it. (laughs) And people still do. They they go to the American Gothic house in Eldon, Iowa, and they take pictures and they dress up as the characters. Oh, I guess we got to add that to our road trip list. Yeah, I guess not. Oh, come on. (laughs) What else is there to do when you're driving through Iowa? I tell you what, though, that might be a funny, like, album cover or something like that. Okay. All right. We'll go to the house. Well, you know me. I love the roadside attraction kind of (laughs) aspect of America. I suppose so. But so... that American Gothic comes from the window that's behind them. Okay. And it's because it was an example of Gothic architecture. And he just thought it was so ridiculous. He's like, why would they have this, in, you know, this elaborate window yeah. on this, you know, old farmhouse? Right. And so I thought that was interesting. Um, but it's that idea. So, so Southern Gothic is taking the complicated history of the South and um, its examples of that kind of literature, um, like, well, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. You know? And um, you you could say that it was because it deals with murder, the you know the baser aspects of human nature, and it's specifically those things that happen in the South, and it's because of the complicated relationships because of slavery right. between black people and white people, and then the continuing legacy of that mm-hmm. kind of makes it a unique place. Like if you think about oh Midnight in the Garden, of Good and Evil, um, things like that, where the South is almost. A character in its own right. Right. And it's because everything's hanging over it. Mm -hmm. And it gives it this feeling of um, not necessarily horror, but it's just... Heaviness. There's a darkness. Bingo. There's a heaviness to it. Yeah. And I got to say, my experiences in the South and our band experiences in the South have often always been pretty great. Quite pleasant. I was going to say, like, <laughs> Southern girls have been much nicer to me than almost any <laughs> Northern girls I've ever met. They've been much more lovely and sweet. Um, and just in general, the kind of hospitality. Yeah. I mean, as long as you don't mind waiting. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> just kidding. Kidding around. <laughs> That's true. There's a lot of, like, waiting in line in the South is a completely different kind of experience. <laughs> Where like the person will just be talking to the the bank right. teller or the you know whoever like the, the fast food person <laughs> just or chit chatting the Waffle House waitress, <laughs> and they'll just be talking for like five minutes, and you're just like, oh my god, 
Um, and so that's true. Yeah, more pleasantries but, between people. But as far as the openness yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. And like the willing to like hang out, take you around town, like when they don't even know you. Right. Yeah. Like I'm like, I'm not going to take you in my car. You're a serial killer. <laughs> you and they're me. Like, right. And they're just like, in the south, they're like, come on, let's, let's go. And always found that wonderful. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, our experience, obviously, as three well-to-do, not necessarily well-to-do, obviously, because we're musicians, but not like uh, vagrant, right? whatever, right. white people going down there. So we, that is our particular lived experience in there. But I've also been welcomed with open arms of guys I've worked with uh, in the rap community in Atlanta. Yeah. You know, sure. I went to Atlanta one time and I was in Epic Records. And then there's this guy named Aaron Reed and his dad is L.A. Reed, who was on uh, the, he was one of the guys in The Voice, I think, or America's Got Talent. Anyway, a big deal. He's, he's the guy that made the career of um, all these 90s R&B singers. So he's very in that world. And go to Epic Records and it's me and uh, my boss from uh, broadjam.com and we're there and we're the only white guys in the entire place. And I'm thinking, all right, try not to be awkward. Uh, and then it was just like, how you doing? Like hugs and meeting. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's just very open. And that, that kind of community um, and thing in the South is just unique to it. Yeah. So I think when we think about the, this heaviness that hangs over it, that really hasn't been my experience, even though that's how a lot of literature and movies kind of make Yeah. It. Well, also, you know, our experiences are pretty surface level because it's like we're traveling through, right. we're passing by, we're That's not living true. there and, you know, really soaking up the culture. It, that is that is absolutely <laughs> true. I just don't like it when people just define an area yeah. as a certain thing. Sure. Like, of course, like, history is complicated. There's a million things to work on and all these things. So when we go through it and we talk about some of these stories, a lot of them are going to deal with the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And we're 150 years past the end of the Civil War. And you think, well, maybe that's – there's so many of these stories are defined by it. It's it's hard to say, like, our experiences there have not been defined right. by the Civil War. So yeah. I kind of – before we completely get into, like, all these stories <laughs> that relate to the Civil War and, like, people being horrible to each other in the South, I kind of just want to say that hasn't been my experience at all. Um, it's been fairly wonderful. Yeah, me but, too. But also, as you say, they are surface-level experience where we meet people for a night, hang right. out – have a few beers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, our context is positive because we're, you know, when you're on tour, you're always expecting good things right. to happen. You're in a good mood. It's fun. It's like one fun event to the next to the next. So, but yeah, I mean, right. definitely we, have had wonderful experiences. We didn't South. have to try to get jobs in the South or anything. Right, exactly. <laughs> so we had nothing to deal with that. It's true. Um, but it is a unique place. And that idea of, of a particular genre of fiction, I mean, think of even, well, nonfiction, think of Truman Capote and In Cold Blood. And, you know, we think of this just particular kind of Southern voice, I mean, beyond the drawl. <laughs> yeah. Um, that always has that kind of heaviness hanging over it. And when you go into some of the ghost stories of the South, I mean, they absolutely get right into the darkness of slavery oh, and gosh, the Civil yeah. War. I mean, there's so many haunted plantations. Like that seems to be because you have these places that were, I mean, farms where human beings yeah. were kept in captivity. And, you know, we've had a whole episode on the Myrtles Plantation in uh, St. Francisville, Louisiana. And Allison and I, my sister, uh, stayed overnight at the Myrtles in May of 2000. And it was funny because that particular experience was so like, I, 
I'd stayed at places that had ghost stories before, but never a place where like the staff left for the night. And that really was, uh, it's like, okay, the staff leaves for the night and you're just sleeping in the house. I mean, there was one other couple staying in the house oh, and then my man. sister and I were like in this upstairs room. And so you can't call the concierge for uh, an extra toothbrush or anything like that is <laughs> no. what you're saying. And you can't call anybody if you see a ghost. Was it? Like completely empty, or were there beds there, or bathrooms, or there things was like just, that? Or? It was um, a regular, like a house. So okay. like it was bedrooms, and you just stayed in one okay. of the bedrooms, and then the bathroom was in the middle of the hallway or whatever. Um, but when we got to the plantation, um, there were some people who were staying in a like a house that was also on the property, but oh. wasn't in the farmhouse proper. Yeah. And then there were uh, there was a couple staying downstairs, and then there was another group staying upstairs with. My sister and I. Okay. And it was funny because um, before uh, it hit nighttime, the people who were staying in the room across from us heard something oh, no. in their room, uh-huh. and they just left. They got out. They, really, <laughs> they couldn't they, take it. They got out. Oh, wow. And what made it particularly- That's great. What made it particularly scary was um, my sister's husband and my parents, um, they were driving back the hour and a half- to New Orleans that night, <laughs> Bye. which was where we were staying in the garden district in New Orleans. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then it was only Allison and I yeah. staying at this house Stranded on a plantation. No transportation. And St. Francisville is a tiny town. Oh. There's no transportation. There's no way out. <laughs> no Ubers there, huh? So, right. This is 2000. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, there's no cell phones. Like, I didn't have a cell phone yet or anything. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know how to get in touch yeah. with anybody if something right? happens. And, the, you know, the particular ghost that they pushed at the Myrtle's Plantation at the time, is this slave named Chloe. And so Chloe's in love with her master, Mark Woodruff, and she misbehaves. And so he cuts her ear off. No. Yes. And she's got to wear a green turban then to cover her ear. So she wants to take revenge on him, and then she poisons his children. Okay, and so it says that she kills the master's children, and then she's hung and her body's tossed in a nearby river, and she, Horrible. you know, roams the plantation. Such a know. violent, dramatic story. Right. That's, it almost sounds like it, it could be uh, maybe like a fiction story. <laughs> it sounds like it could be. But at the time, yeah, this was before a lot of people had done research. And, you know, and the thing is, Chloe never existed. Um, <laughs> there's no record of it. Like... Woodruff's children lived for a long time because yeah. they had this whole thing about how there were little handprints on the mirror, <laughs> and that was the handprints of the children. Oh, wow. Right. It's creepy. So I, I wandered around in the middle of the yeah. night and like, took pictures of the mirrors and things like that. And there was like prints on the mirror, but that could be anybody's. Yeah. You know, it didn't have to be that ghost of the children. Um, so, you know, we heard we heard a couple things, but didn't really see anything. Aww. It was just more terrifying than, I mean, I, I was... I was scared like oh my a gosh. little kid. Yeah. Well, um, we actually, we have a whole episode about that with yes. you and your sister talking to um, some of the people there, right? Yeah, some of the owners, former owners, people have done research into it. Yeah. Um, episode 77, if you oh, if you want to check that out and hear in depth. Of the adventures in the Myrtle's <laughs> Plantation. Because the thing is, somebody was murdered on the Myrtle's Plantation. Like, that has actually happened. Um, wow. William Winter uh, was one of the owners, and he was shot. Okay. You know, and then so like he... So somebody did die like on a, the deck of the plantation. In a violent way, like a dramatic, violent Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and of course, they had slaves. So did they beat the slaves? 
Yes, of course. Right, there's they, always horror associated with that. Anytime so. there's slavery, there's going to be mm. humans doing horrible things to other humans. And so the Myrtles has that. But what made Chloe especially scary is there's this picture. Oh. And it's there's supposedly nobody in the picture. And it looks like a woman with an Aunt Jemima thing on. You know, like, a, uh-huh. you know, she's wearing a headgear kind of thing scarf he's got right a scarf a headgear <laughs> like he's got exactly she's my working on some he's a retainer my teeth just flinched a little bit <laughs> right a flashback man. from childhood i remember the retainer <gasps> uh headgear so so like i you know you have this you're seeing this picture and it is it looks like a black woman yeah. with uh a scarf you know, like ghostly in the background of the okay. picture. So they see this woman wearing the scarf yeah. and that's like the green turban that sure, Chloe would have worn. Okay. okay. So she's wearing the green Draw turban. The connections. And then she's going to poison and murder me in the middle right. of the night. And that's all I could think of. And did so, she? No, everything was fine because <laughs> Chloe never existed. It's just, you know, the figment of somebody's yeah. imagination and it makes for a great story. Well, it does. Yeah. Because there's character, there's motive, there's, you know... And drama. And if people do experience ghosts in the plantation, which they have, and the ghost yeah. hunters have, you know, done stuff there, and they captured some things, it may maybe they didn't actually capture Chloe's ghost, yeah. but they did capture a ghost. You know, people mm-hmm. have captured, you know, ghosts on film there and stuff. Yeah. Um, it just may not be that particular person. Right. That actually reminded me of. I was recently in Austin, Texas, and mm-hmm. you, you know, we've been to the Driscoll Hotel. Yes, we have. And there's a painting in there that is a lot of ghost stories associated with it, with the light going off and finding things behind the wall behind it and it's a little girl holding a bouquet of flowers but because there's also the story of the tragedy of uh like i think it was a senator or some politician's daughter young daughter like okay. falling down the staircase and dying there everybody's just says it like as as if it's fact that that's the girl in the painting oh right. that's her and and her ghost haunts it and you can see her in the painting and the painting is haunted because it's her so it's just funny how people naturally draw that conclusion when in fact there's no There's link there no, at all. No. And I saw the picture. Actually, um, Scott, my fiance, and I wandered up to the floor where the picture is, and we looked at it, but then security kicked us out. Uh, did it move around or anything like that? Nope. It just looked creepy. Okay. So just, <laughs> there you go. But yeah, another another little girl ghost. They seem to be everywhere. Well, the haunted plantation, I mean, that's, that's a fairly, uh, like, it seems like every plantation in the South... Um, has some kind of ghost story associated with it, like the Gaineswood Plantation uh, in Alabama. And, you know, this is built in the 1840s. A guy named Nathan Whitfield uh, is, the, is the owner in there. And, you know, the ghost that seems to be um, haunting it is, they say it's a woman named Evelyn Carter, who was hired to help with the children and things around the plantation after the main guy died. So Evelyn Carter, she dies and she's buried under the house. It says. What? Why would you do that? And so, well, I, but they <laughs> they said that she was going to send her back home when the weather cleared. So she must have died oh, in the winter. So they were storing her. So basically. they kind of store yeah. her. Um, but then she never got they sent. never moved her. She never got sent back her home. final resting place. And so uh, because she never was sent back home, uh, she still walks, uh, you know, in, in Demopolis, Alabama. Wow. Uh, she walks the floors of the Gainesville Plantation, but it doesn't seem that bad because uh, she plays the piano. So people hear like that's a, fun. People hear like a ghostly oh, piano. Oh man! But they think that uh, it's actually the ghost playing the pi- a different, like a ghostly piano, because the piano that's there mm-hmm. uh, is missing keys and it's out of tune. Oh, so it sounds lovely, and not <laughs> so it does because if they actually played a song yeah. on it, so if somebody was fooling around, right. 
Um, you would or, be able to tell that it's that piano. You'd be able to tell that it's an auto-tune and nasty piano. So oh. I, that's what I thought was interesting yeah. because they're like, well, it can't be this, you know, she's, it's the ghost of her I playing was just gonna the say, ghostly piano. The ghost piano that from when it was in tune. Right. There's Barnsley Gardens in Eight Hoursville, Georgia. And, you know, there uh, you've got a, you've got a guy that um, his wife passes away. He, the guy is Godfrey Barnsley is his name. <laughs> And he's the, you know, he's the guy that runs the plantation. And it's a very is, stately name. Yes, Godfrey Barnsley. Actually, what am I saying? Why make him sound, <laughs> the name like that is to be like, Godfrey Barnsley. Oh, yeah, there you go. In Eight Hoursville, Georgia. It's my <laughs> it's Barnsley. Gar- it's my Barnsley Gardens. Um, and that's not even a very good Southern accent, so I apologize. But, so his wife, Julia, passes away. And then he stops, you know, he, he didn't quite finish it. And then his wife's ghost tells him to complete the home. And then, you know, over the time, uh, he keeps working on the gardens and stuff like that because he's getting encouragement Aww. from his wife's ghost. And so people have seen her ghost wandering around the Barnsley Gardens, and they say they've seen her by the fountain. That's her favorite particular place. That's neat. Um, so that's actually a nice one. Yeah, I like that <laughs> story. But then again, not violent. Uh, when you go to this, the Civil War gets involved because people see a Confederate soldier, uh, they say who was shot and killed in the garden. Mm. Now... Because it's like during the war or whatever, you don't have like a Records. newspaper article yeah. that says like, oh, you know, Buford T. Justice, which what? Buford T. Justice was the name <laughs> of uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Nice. That was Smokey. Oh my gosh. That was uh, Jackie Gleason's character in uh, Smokey and the Bandit, okay. Buford T. Justice. And it was just the most Southern name I could think <laughs> of at the time to be in the newspaper. Buford T. Justice was shot and killed in the, gar- in the Barnsley Gardens. But- you know, so people say they see the ghost of the Confederate soldier in uh, you okay. know, on, on, the, on the plantation. Sure. And that's just, you know, three plantations out of the hundreds that were there in the South that all had, you know, and they almost all have interesting ghost stories and almost have, you know, something to it. Because yeah. there's extra history in the South uh, as I mean, compared to up here because that was where they expanded to after the Revolutionary War. And so um, you just have these buildings and houses that are hundreds of years old yeah. as compared to like right. houses around here that are like, yes. that house was built in the 50s. Like, well, that guy's got an old place. Right. Or like one family has lived in it. Whereas <laughs> these ones have like generations of families and things happening in them. And, right. And, and thousands think, of people who have lived on the place yeah, because they had all the slaves. Exactly. And also plantations, you know, they're always these giant imposing kind of spooky old mansion kind of looking places and i I feel like those kinds of places always whether it's people's imaginations getting activated by you know the Mm -hmm. the magnificence of the structure and just looking at something like that it does lead well to ghost stories as as opposed to like an apartment building that's just you know (laughs) or it's like a ranch house yeah yeah. look at a ranch house you're like this isn't haunted like (laughs) you know this it might be haunted by shag carpet that's about it yeah and I mean, those places always, there are stories everywhere, we know, but well, something like that. I mean, speaking of the, the history of things, um, when you go in and you talk about the history of Louisiana, I mean, it feels like Louisiana is older than the rest of the country. It does, you know, yeah. As, especially New Orleans. And the guy that really uh, is the, like, my favorite New Orleans ghost is Jean Lafitte. Monsieur Jean Lafitte. And, you know, he's great because... Um, he's a pirate at the turn of the 19th century. And uh, they still have this place on Bourbon Street in New Orleans called the Old Absinthe House. <laughs> yes. 
And the rumors are in the old absent house is that he met with Andrew Jackson before Andrew Jackson was president when he was just a general in the army. And he's fighting the war of 1812 with the British. And the, finally, they're, they're having this big battle in New Orleans. And it's going to be like the final showdown between the British and the American forces. And so Andrew Jackson's trying to plan the strategy. And he meets secretly with Jean Lafitte, who's a pirate and like a robber and like a blackguard. You know, he joins forces. They, you oh, know, they, they join forces so that they can defeat the British and kick him out. And so the Battle of New Orleans ends up being the last battle in the war, 1812. And Lafitte says that uh, he, if they help him fight, he will give his whole crew full pardons. Wow. I mean, sorry, Jackson says that he will give Lafitte's yeah. whole crew full pardons. And where they met to discuss that is in, uh, let's cool. the upstairs of the old Absinthe yeah. House in Bourbon Street. And so people have seen the ghost of Jean Lafitte, oh, uh, the, the, that bastard pirate there. And uh, people have heard laughing and partying when there's no around. They've seen chairs and dishes move and even objects fly about the room. Fun. And so um, there's also that... Anytime you have criminals, there's underground tunnels. Yes, there are. And so it's rumored that underground tunnels run beneath the bar, and they say that misty shadows and strange cool. noises emerge from them. Well, we went there. Yes, we did. On one, well, a couple of our tours, we yes, stopped there. I've I've had many a drink at the old Africa. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of spirits there, but <laughs> the ones that we saw were unfortunately not. Right. The ones that <laughs> the we saw were type. mixed with Coke. <laughs> but yeah, it is a very... Uh, it has quite a patina from all those years of yes, it of does. People interesting though, um, because Jean Lafitte's not just popular in New Orleans. Ooh, right. Yeah, he, he got around. He did get around. He's also popular in Galveston, Texas. Yes, and it's funny. And so at the beginning of the nineteenth century, um, and this is after the War of eighteen twelve. Jean Lafitte, like his guys, get a full pardon because they help out Andrew Jackson. And the funny thing about the Battle of New Orleans is it's the last battle of the War eighteen twelve. But like the treaty was already signed. Yeah. Like the war was over and those guys still killed each other. And I, I guess I'm laughing because that's <laughs> not funny. It's just so tragic. Like yeah, nobody had horrible. to die. Right. But so Galveston, Texas, it's right on, you know, the um, Gulf of Mexico, right? So it's, it's right in, by the Atlantic Ocean. And there's this little island off Galveston uh, called Galveston Island. And, you know, we did an open mic once at Galveston Island, had a great time. It was great. Remember, there was an English guy who was running the open mic. Yeah. But he would sing. He, was, he had an English accent when you talked to him. But when he'd sing, he sounded like Johnny Cash or Totally. Like he had a complete southern accent. Southern accent. Yep. And we'll talk about that a little uh, at the end of the episode, um, how, like, the English guy sang so well with a southern accent. <laughs> but so uh, Jean Lafitte, he called himself the King of Galveston. Oh, so wow, this, before Texas was a state, this long before yeah. Texas was a state, he ruled the island with his organized crime enterprise Man. from 1817 uh, to 1921. Wow. He's got a compound uh, on Harborside Street on the island called Maison Rouge, which, Wendy, which, what does that mean? Oui, the Red House. The Red House. <laughs> and so, um, you know, eventually the, the Navy comes, they want to get him out of the city because he's a criminal. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's a pirate. So he burns the Red House down, and there's an historical marker on the spot on 1417 Harborside Street uh, where they burn the house down. And people said they've seen black dogs roaming that site. Yeah, ghost dogs. Yeah, black dogs with and red eyes. And they hear dogs there, too. I, they hear the, the sounds of, like, barking and shrieking. <laughs> well, let me – so what this, what this blogger said that one of the origins of the story was, um, she said – 
The pack of 12 black dogs were part of a pack that were owned by pirate king Jean Lafitte. This is from Anne Whitmore, and uh, she's got a blog called GallistonGhost.com. And they were known as the Campache Devil Dogs, and they were bred for hunting and known to hunt down men as well as animals. The rumor goes that Lafitte demanded that a voodoo queen give him an army of dogs to guard his palace, the Maison Rouge. And upon Lafitte's demand, the voodoo queen did a ritual over the puppies as they were being born. That's like Hellboy. It's like Hellboy (laughs) for puppies. It is said seeing the pack of 12 black dogs is an omen of trouble or tragedy. And some mention the smell of wet dog and the sound of growls, barking dogs, and the brush of a dog against a leg where no dogs exist. Mm. So, you know, I think that's interesting about, like, he haunts different places across, uh, you know, the Gulf Coast and everything. They see him in Galveston. They see him in New Orleans. And that's, I mean, because we're talking about the early 19th century and... Like, you don't think about the United States as a place where we had pirates. Not now. Right. Right. You know, you think maybe software pirates. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you don't think about the U.S. as a place where there's pirates. And so that's what I mean where this idea that a place is defined just by one moment in its history, the Civil War. Yeah. There's, you know, so much more to it. And there's more history there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so, so much history. And so um, not that the Civil War doesn't, you know, follow a lot of these places around. There's a... A place in uh, Nashville called Merchants okay. Restaurant. That's pretty hot. It's a pretty cool restaurant. Okay. Hipster. Uh, yeah. But it used to be a hotel. <laughs> and post-Civil War, there was an employee at the hotel named Georgia Edmonton. Okay. All right. So uh, they're doing renovations to the restaurant. They discovered a letter that Georgia wrote to her boyfriend, who was a Confederate soldier named Charlie Keenan. Now, she accuses Charlie of two-timing on her, Uh-oh. breaks up with him, and the story goes that poor Charlie, the two-timing Confederate, then went on to kill himself. Oh, no. But it's Charlie Keenan, they think, haunts the restaurant. So Max Goldberg, the owner of Merchants, says, A chef who worked at Merchants in the late 1980s had always heard stories of a Confederate soldier who killed himself. One night, the chef was the last person in the building, and when he locked everything up, he saw a light come on the third floor. He saw a man in full Confederate uniform, and when he ran up the stairs to get a closer look, the light went off. Guy got spooked. He left the restaurant, and when he was in the street, he saw the light go back on. A year later, again when he was alone, the chef swears he heard the bathroom door open and close and voice say, shh, when he went to investigate. Uh, Nobody was there. No. Yeah. So, like, that's, I mean, obviously a sad story about Charlie Keenan. Um, And it's interesting. So, did Charlie Keenan really kill himself inside the restaurant? I don't know. But you have that um, the link. The, the, there, yeah. the, you have the letter to somebody who was a Confederate soldier um, from the girlfriend. It says, "You bastard! You cheated on me." And uh, then they see the ghost of a Confederate soldier. Man. So, but that's the like you were talking before, Wendy. How you have some kind of story or something that happens there. Then people see something, and then they immediately connect it. Yeah, and the, the assumption is there. And so, when you're doing an investigation in a place, you might say like. Hey, Charlie, you, you try to use that, like, hey, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Like, you try to use the history to, like, but the thing is, it's just a Confederate soldier. We don't have a picture of Charlie Keenan, <laughs> and then the guy's like, holy crap, that's the guy. Yeah, right. Just assign that name to him. You know, but we do uh, in Madison, actually. Ooh, okay. So speaking of Hometown. ghosts, coats the Confederate soldiers. And this, I always think this is interesting, because obviously in Wisconsin, we are part of the North, the, the frozen North here. Yes. Uh, part of the Union. So why would we have a ghost of a Confederate soldier in Madison, why Wisconsin? Why would we? Because the only time any Confederate soldiers were here 
was when, in Madison, uh, Camp Randall, um, which is where the uh, Badgers play today. It's where the football That's stadium right. is. It's Camp starting Randall soon. Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, Camp Randall's actually uh, named after um, the governor at the time, Alexander Randall, and he sets up a training grounds and a barracks there for Union soldiers. Okay. Now, what happens at the Battle of Island Number 10 in April 1862, the Union soldiers um, have 7,000 Confederate prisoners. So after the battles of there, 7,000 Confederate prisoners, and they have to send them to some prison camp somewhere. So a lot of them go to Chicago, and then they need a place for 1,000 more prisoners. Overflow. Overflow. Right. And so they send them to Camp Randall. Now, Camp Randall is only not equipped to be a prison. Oh, no. And they didn't have any notice that they were coming. So they weren't really... Uh, able to provide reasonable conditions it's kinda like for the, the captives. Kind of like the Superdome when Katrina hit. Yeah. And all those people like had to go in there. It's exactly like that. Like they weren't ready for yeah. it. And so what happens is, and I didn't even realize this, I'd known that um, Madison was the location of the northernmost Confederate prisoner war camp, but I didn't realize that we weren't ready for it. That we weren't ready for. Like, I wasn't there. I was like, oh, what are we going to do? I wasn't the quartermaster. <laughs> but a letter written to the quartermaster uh, by U.S. Army officials describes uh, the soldiers of the uh, the Wisconsin Regiment as undisciplined, inexperienced, and poorly equipped to oh, guard no. a thousand Confederate wow. prisoners. Um, he expresses, dis- like, he's like disappointed in the hospital conditions. And he said 200 prisoners were sick out of the 1,200 who were here. Whoa. So that's gnarly. Yes. And then things start getting worse. Prisoners succumb to measles, mumps, Oof. pneumonia. There's a great Badger Herald article um, where they talk about the. Uh, they go into um, like the letters that people were writing to each other. And so like one private writes to his family, the Confederates are dying off like rotten sheep. There was 11 die off yesterday and today, and there ain't a day, but what there is from two to nine dies. Oh my goodness. That's nasty. Right. The death and his grammar. (laughs) Right. There ain't a day, but what there is from two to nine dies. Um, he had other things on his mind. I get right. He's worried about dying in the war, and, and he's he has to. We'll let it go this time, his people. <laughs> but only about a month after they got here, like they were told, like the U.S. Army was like, "You got to move them." But before they left, 140 Confederate soldiers. So, like, oh more than 10 percent of the soldiers yeah. who came to Camp Randall died. Horrible. Right, and so they're buried at Forest Hill Cemetery in Madison at a place called Confederate Rest. And that's a beautiful cemetery. It is a beautiful cemetery. But interestingly enough, there was a, a thing in Madison last year because the, the daughters of the Confederacy in like 1920 erected a monument to the soldiers. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it didn't say that they were horrible racists or whatever. <laughs> so then people lobbied for the monument to be removed. Plus, they thought that the daughters of the Confederacy were an organization that was promoting uh, the Confederacy as like a lost, the lost cause kind of thing that was noble. Oh yeah, whatever. Sure. So then idea. So like now they don't really have a, a good um, like a marker or whatever. Yeah. You know that kind of says like what these guys. You know they they still were Americans and they yeah. died and they were fighting for a cause that most of us wouldn't agree with. Um, and they lost. Right, but also most of them weren't slave owners or anything like that. Like they were probably just poor. A lot half of them were just 
poor yeah. bastards that just had get, get sent off to the, war. the army. Right. Like, you know? So um, they 140 of them died because of crappy conditions That's in Madison, Wisconsin. So sad. Now, UW Hospital isn't like that today. Let's hope not. More than, you know. <laughs> so here we get a story, and this is in Sherry Strub's book uh, on ghosts of Madison, Wisconsin, but it's a reprint from uh, the University of Wisconsin Alumni Magazine ah, okay. because they'll often call for ghost stories from yeah. UW alumni and then people write in. So here we have um, a woman. She's anonymous, unfortunately, but she writes in to uh, the magazine and says, I started dating a physics graduate student in the spring of 2000. So already we're older than she is. Okay, um, great. <laughs> often I would study with him in his office late into the night on the third floor of the physics building. That's Sterling Hall. Yeah. Now, Sterling Hall is also famous because that was the one where anti-Vietnam War protesters right. bombed it uh, and ended up killing a guy who had, was just staying late and working. They thought there'd yeah. be nobody in the building. And they bombed it. There's actually a Quantum Leap episode based on wow. it. Wow. Not, I mean, he doesn't go back to Wisconsin, but okay. it, it's based on the idea that they, yeah. these, these Vietnam War protesters were going to bomb a place, and then like Sam's got to make sure the guy doesn't die. Aww. In real life, Sam didn't save him. Scott Bakula oh, didn't man. save the guy that died. And um, one of the bombers, actually, he's still like on the lam. Oh, wow. Like he's been on the lam for 47 years, kind of, or 49 <laughs> years, actually. Um so he's probably dead. Uh, so she's in Sterling Hall. One night, uh, I was walking to the women's restroom on the third floor. I'm speaking as the woman, not me. <laughs> I, and in the far corner of the hallway, I saw an injured Confederate soldier. He appeared to be a young man, early, perhaps mid-20s, 5 feet 8 to 10 inches tall. So obviously, you know, she's got a lot of details here. Yeah. Dark brown hair and a long, pointy mustache. He wore a Confederate gray shirt and pants and a cap which appeared too big for him. His right arm was in a white swath sling. He was looking out the window that was pointing south. I know because I checked the layout of the building. The first time I saw him, I ran back to my boyfriend, now husband's office, and told him he had to walk me to the restroom. The apparition was gone when we returned. A few weeks later, the same scenario occurred, and I see him guarding slash standing in front of the woman's restroom. And he says, excuse me, ma'am, when do you think we'll be allowed home? And so he's a prisoner. Yeah. So she saw the ghost of a Confederate oh, prisoner. But but a ghost that interacts with humans, yeah. living humans. That's well, cool. Okay. Now, this is where I think is uh, extra interesting because a lot of times you can say like, okay, it's a haunting. It's a recording right. of something. And these yep, people- Residual or whatever. And the Civil War has got such crazy energy and battle and murder and people getting killed and things like that always adds up to something. I mean, that's Gettysburg right there. Absolutely. But the fact is that he sees her. And asks her a question. So that almost yeah, seems like, that seems, like cool. a, that seems like a time slip or something like right. that to me. Or it's an apparition that never moved on. Yeah. Like that never, you know, saw oh, the... Oh, that's so sad. Never stepped towards the light. Um, wow. So, you know, Wendy, you've well, you've been to a famous Southern haunting site, right? Well, yes. And we've talked about this before, so I won't spend too much time on it. But I did visit the Bell Witch Cave. Mm. And it was funny when you were talking about the uh, New Orleans with the Andrew Jackson connection, because at the Bell Witch Cave, which is now a tourist stop, you can right. go there, you can get the tour. And, and I did. And uh, you can... Oh, they have all these newspaper articles on the wall and they have stories and things like that. And one of the newspaper articles talked about Andrew Jackson visiting the Bell Witch Cave and reporting that it was, you know, something to the effect that it was far more terrifying than 
being at war or something like that. So it's even more terrifying than what I did to the Seminole Indians. Right. But that is not, there's no evidence that he actually sure. went there. So it's just funny how like he's, he was a popular character of the time. So these stories, you right. know, whether they're true or not, people are talking him up like, Oh, he said it, you know, she's, she's. but anyway, the bell, bell witch uh, was the story of the bell family that had a farm in Northern Tennessee. And, it's really like on the border of Kentucky. It's very far north. And between like 1817 and 1821 was when they had this experience where uh, this, I don't know what you want to call it. They, they describe it as, you know, an apparition or a demon or there's a million different things. But they had these horrifying experiences where basically they were hearing voices mm. and uh, they called it a witch. But they were hearing scratching on the walls and they would see cryptid like sort of a wolf-like animal outside and tons of different things happened. And there's a scary cave on the property, which is hence the Bell Witch Cave that I went on the tour of. And um, it just, it became a a very popular legend in that area. So there's a movie made about it. Uh, Oh, what's the name of that movie? Is it an American Haunting? Yeah. Yeah, an American Haunting. And actually I did a video uh, with Scott about that on his A Ghost Hunter Watches series, so we can link to that, where we talk about sure. right after we visited the Bell Witch Cave, then there's a lot more detail of that. But it's it's a really interesting story and legend. And one of the things that I thought was the greatest about it, visiting it, was that they tell you, when you go in the cave, don't take anything. Don't touch the rocks or take any rocks home with you, because there's bad luck to follow. And then when you're in the gift shop, they have a whole entire counter of rocks on display and letters that people sent back the rock because they took one oh. and then the stories of what happened to them after they got home and horrible things happened. <laughs> so that was my favorite part of it. But yeah, it's an interesting Southern popular Southern story. And the story is well documented. There's a whole book about it. So, well, you know, it, it's interesting. So MV Ingram is the guy that write this authenticated history of the bell, which <laughs> in, 18, in 1894, yes. and he says he knew the bell family and he compiled as much information as he could about it, um, including their journals that he could compile. And then he released them after the last of the family who this happened to passed away. And so MV Ingram's an interesting character because <laughs> you're getting something that's maybe 70 years. Yeah, exactly. It's not fresh. It's not happening. Right. Like he's, he's not there reporting and experiencing it. Right. It's happening, <laughs> you know, over half a century after it occurs. But then in episode 156, um, we actually do a, uh, a version of oh. one of the poems that he writes in the authenticated history of the Bell Witch called The Queen of the Haunted Dell. <laughs> So if you go to episode 156, you'll hear our take on the song, there you go. The Queen of the Haunted Dell, which is a poem directly from the authenticated history of the Bell Witch. But yeah, I definitely recommend digging into that if you're curious, because the stories are just so amazing. I mean, not amazing. They're entertaining. Right. It's unbelievable. And there's so many eyewitness accounts that are written that you're just like, what was going on there? What on earth? But the cave itself, on the tour, they told us that they found Native American remains sure. in the cave and, and grave sites and things like that. So, you know, it's a long-standing history in that area and who knows. Well, you know, whatever the truth of MV Ingram's story, yeah. <laughs> um, what I think is interesting is that all the people that have experienced bad luck and they attribute it yeah, to the rocks. Right. And then they send it back. Like those are real <laughs> stories of people that 
it's like they took the uh, uh, when the um, Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii. It's, yeah, you know, the idol. <laughs> it's like when they took the idol and the Brady Bunch right. goes to Hawaii, and then now they got to send it back. So that just makes me laugh. The, the idea that um, even if the original stories are made up, it's the century of people right. going to the place and attributing supernatural powers to it that eventually makes them feel that there's supernatural powers. Or maybe something was created from all those people thinking that. Exactly right. Know? Exactly right. So it, it just shows that sometimes the ghost fiction can be as powerful as the historical fact, at least when it comes to you know people's own yeah. ideas and things like that. And so that, that, that makes it really interesting, it is. I think. And the letters are great because everybody's like, I know you said I shouldn't take a rock, but I, I just, you know, I had to. This is hilarious. So it's not funny. Some of the stories have really, really awful things in them. Right. But you know, um, good stuff. when we talk about uh, the South, though, one of the things that makes it such a unique place is that mixing of cultures. And I think that Southern, Southern Rock is specifically, and now Wendy and I have performed Southern Rock <laughs> Um, with our friend Michael Alexander. We'll keep this amongst us, right? Yeah, just okay, amongst everybody. us. Uh, I've worn a cowboy hat. I believe Wendy has too. Um, <laughs> on stage. And she's got cowboy. I don't even have cowboy boots. This girl's got cowboy boots. No, I don't have real cowboy boots okay. yet. I'm looking am, at a picture. They look super cowboy. They're not. They're not. They're just cheap, like. They're cowgirl boots. Yeah, but I am on the, on the on lookout the for a for good cowboy. pair. So if you know a place to get them. So we've played Southern Rock uh, <laughs> in a, a band called Michael Alexander and Big Whiskey and had a lot of fun and got to do some really fun shows with it. But the South, I mean, you think about uh, the artistic gumbo that is Southern Rock. So like blues, folk, rock and roll, country, um, that mixing of several traditions, black and white to make music that even anywhere you go to in the United States, people lose their pants over it. So when sweet, <laughs> it's so true. When Sweet Home Alabama oh. starts, as much as like, I, you know, Leonard Skinner has some really great songs. Yeah. And I, will, I never care if I hear Sweet Home Alabama <laughs> again. Even though I thought when I first heard the song, I was like, really catchy You've song. reached your lifetime limit oh, on so that one. Absolutely have. Um, but when people hear it, it doesn't matter if they heard the song a thousand times. Women start dancing. Yeah. The guys start clapping and singing Oh, it's, it's like people are standing having conversations in the bar. The song comes on. Everybody just drops everything and starts shaking their booty. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> uncontrollably. That, and that's just one. But another song that's an example of that is when the opening drum beat comes to Hard to Handle oh, by the man. Black Rose. Love it so right? much. Yeah. And so and we've covered that song a million times. And so, Wendy, you've played that beat. Yes. Um, it is part of my soul. Right. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, Black Rose has sold more than 30 million albums. Um, and so, Steve Gorman uh, was one of the founding members of the band. He was with them for a long time. Um, the band eventually kind of imploded because there's two brothers there, the Robinson brothers, and it's it's that long story of how you know <laughs> brothers eventually try to strangle each other. So Steve uh, currently plays in a band called Trigger Hippie. Uh, they're going to be in Madison Wednesday, November 13th, and I got to interview Steve and talk to him. And I wrote an article for uh, a local magazine called Maximum Inc. to preview the show. But when I was talking to Steve. Uh, he also gave me a ghost story. All right. And so, I mean, the Black Crows, when you think of them as uh, like a Southern rock band, I mean, they're form, they form in Georgia, you know, and they collect all of those things. There's the blues elements, the rock and roll elements, the oh, country, yeah. the folk. You know, it all kind of comes together. You know, Hard to Handle is a cover of an Otis Redding song. Okay. So they take, you know, it's a it's a white, white guy's cover, a black wow. guy's song. And so you... You have that mix, and that really, you know, I think it really makes the sound unique. And Trigger Hippie is a great band, and so I recommend you guys go check them out. We'll have a link in the show notes. Great name, too. But um, 
Let's go and hear this uh, cool ghost story from uh, Steve Gorman. Well, uh, you know, just one final question. This is Halloween week. And uh, we have, uh, you know, musicians play in these theaters and clubs that have always a million stories and legends and hauntings associated with them. So as somebody who's played in thousands of different venues, and also uh, a lot of the the music you play has a spiritualist tradition that it comes from, have you ever seen a ghost or had a paranormal experience? Yeah, I have. And I say that as a guy who always rolled my eyes at everybody else's paranormal experiences. And I, and I still do, despite the fact that I had one. And it, was, um, it wasn't at a venue or a gig. I was at a friend's house in L.A. And this was in 2003. And our, our neighbor was having like a, a backyard cookout. And I lived on a block. I had a toddler and a baby and so did everyone else on the block. So we were constantly all hanging at someone's backyard. And when you live in LA, you know, you're outdoors all year round, which is why you want to go there. If you have babies (laughs) helps. Um, And people in Wisconsin can, can follow that train of thought real quick, real, real (laughs) easily. You know, year round, your backyard is another giant room of the house. It's pretty great. There's no mosquitoes. There's no humidity. That's Pretty the great, dream. you know, for a while anyway. But we were we were at a friend's house, and I walked into the. Everybody's in the backyard. The grills fired up. We're listening to music. It's a really nice little neighborhood get together. And I walked in. It's my buddy Jared's house. I walked into his kitchen, and I was standing at the sink, and I realized there's a there was a woman standing right next to me, and like I hadn't even noticed her. And I did that thing where I went, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see, because like I was crowding her by going to the sink to do, to. I think I was washing my hands. And I, I just looked to my right and said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, and, and there was nobody there. And I, out of, the, out of the corner of my eye, peripherally, I saw an older woman who was wearing a, a red bandana in her hair. An, an older lady with a red bandana, like with a pattern on it. And I as I went to say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even notice you. There was nothing there. And it really impacted. We may, I mean, I felt something inside like, Oh, what the hell was that? Now? I mean, nine times out of 10, I would have thought, Oh, I'm just seeing something or my brain just had a weird synapse misfire, but it really moved me. And I walked outside and I went over to Jared, my friend, and I go, I just had the weirdest thing happen. And he goes, what? And I go, I, I was just in your kitchen and I swear I, there was this old woman that just like was standing next to me, but she wasn't there. And my friend Jared goes, did she have a a red thing in her hair, like a bandana? And I just stared at him in absolute disbelief. And I said, yeah. And he said, his daughter's name is Sadie. And he said, Sadie sees that woman all the time. Oh man. That's, and that's a true story. And I, I have goosebumps right now retelling it. And I was like, oh, I mean, I, I, and I know the look on my face must have been great because he was like, dude, it's okay. Don't worry. And I was like, what the f***, man? I was like losing my mind. He goes, it's fine. She's always just in the house and she never, she just, Sadie just sees her. And I'm like, so great. So me and a three-year-old girl are, are connecting over this, you know, but that's a very real thing. So... Awesome. That's all I got for you. That's the only time that's happened. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the ghost story, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. Uh, good luck with the Trigger Hippie Tour and the new album and the book. And hopefully we'll see when you come to Madison. Yeah, if you make it out to either of the gigs, man, be sure to come say hey. Definitely will. Thanks a lot, Steve. 
Thanks to Steve Gorman for that cool ghost story, and good luck with your new band, Trigger Hippie. Um, they're really great. So for the R song this week, we decided to take maybe like a like a scary Southern folk song. And like we said before, we were at Galveston, and we were hanging out with that English guy yeah. that was singing country music, and he could he sound great. so authentically country. Yeah, It's because... Interestingly enough, uh, the accent in like the Appalachian Mountains and the Ozarks is a lot more like the accent of England in the Middle Ages than what we think of as a traditional English accent. I mean, uh, sometime like in the early 20th century, they developed this thing called received pronunciation. Okay. And that's the British accent that we're used to hearing in the BBC. And so they specifically kind of created that accent to, it's like a 20th century invention. So like the accent of Shakespeare's time, it sounds a little more Appalachian. It sounds a, a lot more Scottish and even a little Australian. What? Yeah, that's really interesting. So we, we wonder why this English guy could just jump in <laughs> and sing a country song that sounds just as authentic as anybody from Texas. Yeah, and it's because it's in his DNA. The southern, the southern <laughs> accent really um, is very close to how like old English accents would sound, and so a lot of the music um, that becomes traditional folk in the American South is based on these English and Irish and Scottish ballads because most of the people who were settling the land were direct descendants from the English settlers who had come to the New World. And a song we decided to do this week, uh, The Unquiet Grave, has been covered by everyone from Joan Baez to Ween. (laughs) All right. And it weaves the tale of a pair of lovers where one died too young. In some versions, it's a girl who died. In others, it's the boy. But what remains the same is that they lay on their lover's grave until the ghost appears to them. When the lover left behind begs for a kiss, the ghost warns that even a single kiss from their lips would kill them. And it's not worth losing your life over lost love. So here's the sunspot version of The Unquiet Grave. How cold doth blow the wind tonight I feel some drops of rain I never had but one true love And in greenwood she was slain I'll do as much for my true love As any young man may I'll sit and moan all on her grave for a twelve month and one day The twelve month and one day enough The dead began to speak Oh, who's it dreaming on my grave And will not let me sleep Tis I, my love, sits on your grave Be long. 
your sweetheart But that is all I crave Then I shall be along with you A lion in my grave Tis down in the under garden green Of where we used to walk The finest flower that e'er was seen Is withered to a stalk The stalk is withered dry, my love So will our hearts decay So make yourself contented, love Till God comes you you for listening to today's episode you can find us online at othersidepodcast.com until next time see you on the other side we want to do a special shout out to our new patreon member <laughs> eric nielsen Woo! all right welcome welcome to the group thank you for joining up eric and we want everybody to check out uh eric's got a couple of cool projects number one is captain isotope which is like a fun 1940 style serial and then the other is the evil Dr. Toad. Aha, yes. So uh, we love sharing other people's <laughs> cool artistic work, so particularly awesome. our Patreons. And Eric, we hope to see you at this Hangout on Wednesday, November Yay, 13th. Yes, that's at 7.30 p.m. And actually, anyone is welcome to join us. They just need to be a Patreon member. Oh, that's right. So if you would like to hang out, talk more paranormal stuff, and uh, share maybe your interesting stories, we'd love to check them out. Othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Yes. Looking forward to it. And this is our October hangout, actually, because of Halloween. Oh, yeah. So super busy. That we'll week. have another one in a couple of weeks for November. All right. Maybe a Thanksgiving hangout. Ooh. And there's nobody we're more thankful to than our Patreons. Yes. And a special shout out to Dr. Ned. Ned, Ned it was just your birthday. Happy so birthday. hope you had a fantastic birthday, Doc. And we hope to get to see you at a Sunspot show very soon. For everybody else, if you're interested in being at the level of Patreon where you get a shout out in every single episode like Dr. Ned, <laughs> check that out, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Or at any level. In fact, as low as, I believe, a dollar a month, $3 a month. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a bargain. We're just giving it away. Yeah, we kind of are. Well, we want to give it away to you. Yes. So please check that Get out away. <laughs> at othersidepodcast.com <laughs> slash donate. Um, oh, oh, and I forgot the best part of the story. What? I did. <laughs> I just wet my pants. <laughs> okay. <laughs>